Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we conclude our mini-series in the book of Revelation. The series is entitled Revitalize, Pray Like Your Life Depends on It. And our goal in the series is that we would stoke the fires of prayer. We pray like our lives depend on it because prayer is at the very core and root of revitalization. A church that sees and hears Jesus through his word, by his spirit, is a church that is going to live revitalization and and be vital and be alive to present a faithful witness of Jesus to our community. In fact, that's the title of this message this morning, The Faithful Witness. The Faithful Witness. And our text is Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 3, verse 7. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Now let me set the stage for you. What's been happening here in the book of Revelation is that Jesus comes to his church and he speaks to his church. As a matter of fact, he he calls his church the seven lampstands. And there's a picture here of a first century lampstand. And so what we find here is Jesus standing in the midst of these seven lampstands. These are seven churches that are in modern day Turkey that represent the seven churches of Revelation. But actually they represent all churches over all time. And Jesus comes to care for these lampstands because these lampstands, these churches, we, church, provide the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And a a first century lampstand, these lamps had a wick. And so Jesus would come and make sure that the wick is properly trimmed. He speaks to the church. He cares for the church. And it needed oil there in that lamp so that the oil would come up through the wick and you would light this wick and it would provide light. And some of the churches were having their light dimmed through false teaching, through ungodly living through just the pressure and persecution of the Roman Empire that was coming down on them with both feet. And so the light was starting to dim and Jesus comes into the lampstands and he walks amidst his church and he says, let me encourage you. Let me speak to you truth. Let me reveal who I am to you. And he does the same this morning. Listen, we're that lampstand. And he's walking amongst us this morning by his spirit. And he's speaking to us. He's speaking to us that our light might shine brightly. This is why we're preaching a series on the Reformation, on why it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and His Word alone, for His glory alone. And we're looking at the Scriptures because that is the fire of God, by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that says, this is Jesus. And we shine brightly with that. And there's no purpose greater for your life, for my life, and our lives together corporately than to shine brightly brightly for Jesus. So he's coming to speak to us. He who has an ear, let him hear what he's saying to the church at Philip Philadelphia, the first century church we're going to study right now, but also the church in South Florida at Palm Vista. So let's hear what he has to say. Are you there? Revelation 3, verse 7. Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. 
I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love a good courtroom drama. It's always captivated me. Maybe it's because when I was younger... Even after college, I had always wanted to be an attorney. I I, I love the law. I love to see justice accomplished. And for me, there's nothing more gripping than a well-acted, well-written courtroom scene and where you see the star witness ascending to that seat and you realize that the entire case rests upon this one witness and that attorney begins to question that witness and, and it can be a tense time and the jury is sort of leaning forward, listening carefully. And the verdict will depend on the clarity, the faithfulness, the truthfulness of that witness. Dear Christians, in this text, the faithful witness, Jesus, is calling us to bear faithful witness of him to the world around us every day of our lives. As we ascend that chair, that witness stand, whether it's at work tomorrow morning or at school or in our neighborhoods or this afternoon when you go to a restaurant or to a family member, if you're going to go have a meal, we are bearing witness with our words, with our actions. And Jesus, the faithful witness, comes to his church in Philadelphia and he comes to his church here in South Florida and he says, I will keep you. I will empower you to be my faithful witnesses. As a matter of fact, that is the main point here of this text on the screen. Christ, the faithful witness, empowers us to be his faithful witnesses. Christ, the faithful witness, empowers us to be his faithful witnesses. And if you're here this morning as an unbeliever, I pray that you would bear witness, that we would bear witness of who Jesus is. I pray that you will have heard it. You will have seen it. The words that we've been singing would just rumble through your head. The fact that we prayed for people to be healed uh, who, who are sick. The fact that we're talking about giving money here in Miami that really many of us don't even have because most of us are having to pay huge deductibles to get things repaired on their home. A fence, a roof, a couple of trees. And yet we're saying, you know what? We're going to give some money to these people. We don't even know most of them because God was so generous to us. We're bearing witness of something greater than us. It's Jesus. And I pray that you would hear it and that God would have mercy on your soul. You would repent and believe in Jesus. 
And that's what he's saying to the church here. Christ, the faithful witness, empowers them and us to be faithful witnesses. Point one, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. Look at verse 7 with me, please. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One. These two designations of Christ point us back to chapter 1, verse 5, where it describes Jesus as the faithful witness. Let me take the true one first. This simply means that Jesus is the genuine, trustworthy witness of God. There are so many false witnesses of God. In the time of this writing, it was the Jews in the synagogue who said that Jesus was a false witness, a false Messiah. Don't listen to him. And they persecuted the Christians, many of whom were Jews who received Jesus as Messiah. And they're saying, they're false, we're true. Jesus is saying, no, I'm the true one. Today, there are so many religions that are falsely representing God. I have had the privilege of interacting with some Muslims recently in gentle, kind conversations. They're so hospitable, making me coffee. But when it comes to Jesus, we disagree. We disagreed agreeably. I say that the Bible says he's God, and they say, no, he's not. He's a great prophet but he's not God. They even said he didn't die on the cross, that somehow in in the scuffle of the arrest, they they substituted somebody in his place that looked just like him. Some say Judas, but Jesus himself ascended into heaven, never died on the cross. And, And so what we have to understand is the true witness is what the Bible says. He's God. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. He didn't just ascend. He rose from the dead. Then he ascended into heaven. Well, that's true. There's always going to be a competition, whether it's the the, the Buddhist who is looking for nirvana or the Hindu who is speaking about reincarnation. We have the privilege of being faithful witnesses, gently, kindly, joyfully, but faithful witnesses. That's what that true one means. The true one is coming to his people and saying, you can trust me. I'm the genuine, true witness. And then the holy one. Do you see that in verse 7? He introduces himself as the Holy One. This designation, Holy One, is used in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament over 20 times of God himself, the Holy One of Israel. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it is used in Mark one twenty four. You can read on the screen. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is God in the flesh. By the way, demons are saying this. Even the demons recognize who he is. Now, they don't worship him, but they recognize who he is. John six sixty nine, And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This designation means that Jesus is the true Messiah. And as the true Messiah, look at verse 7. He has the key of David. Now, what does that mean? Right? He's coming to the church that's under pressure, a church that he's called to be a faithful witness, that lampstand that we looked at. And he's saying, I'm the Holy One. I'm God. I'm the true one. I'm the genuine article. You can trust me. I'm the witness that's trustworthy. And I've got the key of David. The key of David. What is the key of David? The key of David in this text represents... The key of David in this text represents... The key 
to the kingdom of God. It is a term that was used in Isaiah 22.22. And it points to a kingdom that is greater than the kingdom of David's. And a king who is greater than King David. What it's saying here is that Jesus is the one who holds the keys to the entrance to the kingdom of God. Earlier in chapter 1, Jesus said, I have the keys of death and of Hades. What he was saying is, I am Lord over death, over Hades, over everything. So don't worry. Don't fear death. I have the keys to those. Here he's saying, I have the key of David. What it means is, I have the key to the kingdom of God. Well, look at the verse. Look how verse 7 ends. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. What he's saying to the church in Philadelphia, I'm the one who allows entrance into the kingdom of God. Me. I'm sovereign over all of that. And I will open and no one can shut. Not even those false Jews in the synagogue of Satan, even though they say you're not going to be saved and go into the kingdom. Oh, if I say you are, you will be. And I shut and no one opens. Listen, dear unbeliever, there's no other way to find salvation. The age-old question of humanity. It's not through nirvana. It's not through keeping the Jewish law. It's not through the five pillars of Islam. It is not through your own good works. And trust me, there is something to come. Okay, this isn't it. But the keys to the kingdom are held by Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone. That's what he's saying here. That's what he declares to the church. Look at verse 8. I know your works, church in Philadelphia. I know your works, church at Palm Vista. Behold, I have set before you an open door. What's he saying here? I want to remind you. I assure you entrance into heaven. That's what he's saying. I assure you entrance into heaven. You, You will make it there. And no one can keep you out of that. And no one can close the door that I have opened. No one is able to shut it. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus is saying to us that he alone is the one who is able to have And he is the one who is who has, has us keep his word, and he is the one who provides entrance into the kingdom, and he is the one who will keep us as we keep his word. Look at verse 8 again. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, Jesus encourages us, church. We have but little power, but he will keep us. As we are kept by the Lord, we will then keep his word. We're small. We're unimpressive. But he is holding the keys to the kingdom. And he's saying, as you keep my word, as you bear faithful testimony in Philadelphia, even the opponents who had thrown you out of the synagogue will come to me. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. What he's saying here is that I'm going to save some of those Jews. There's going to be amongst your former opponents who have been slandering you in the city of Philadelphia, making your life miserable in the city of Philadelphia. I'm going to bring them to faith through you keeping my word and not denying my name because I have kept you and empowered you. Do you have faith that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
as we keep it, not by our power, we have but little power, but by his power, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ is able to save even your opponents and those who are persecuting you. I believe that's the message for us here today. It was very difficult for the church in Philadelphia. These Jews were really persecuting them. They, they were losing their businesses. They were being expelled from these guilds for the different uh, professions because they wouldn't bow down to the idols. They were losing everything. I mean, a hurricane was hitting them, but it was the hurricane in the spirit, and it was affecting them economically. And many of them were wondering, oh, Lord, this is hard. And Jesus comes to them and says, I'm the true one. I'm the holy one. I have the key of David. I assure you entrance into heaven. Stand firm. Stand fast. Keep my word. Don't deny my name. And I'm going to actually bring them to myself. It's a great application for us today. As we remain faithful to our witness for Jesus Christ, he will use us to bring his elect to himself. Even those who have opposed us will bow down to Jesus through the faithful testimony of his people. Who are those for whom you are praying? I I, want to keep a list. I've started a list. And I'm not just saying, you know, Uncle Juan and, uh, you know, my next door neighbor and, those people too, but I'm talking about people radically different from me. The person from another religion that I had the opportunity to share with a few weeks ago, who I'm praying for the opportunity to share with again in the next couple of weeks, who believes radically differently from me about who Jesus is, who man is, what are the scriptures? But do I believe that this word, if I hold it, and again, this word is the gospel, and I declare it kindly, gently, with hospitality, living out the gospel is the power of God to save that person. Church, I want us to burn so brightly with the gospel that we're out there serving people, sharing the gospel, living the gospel, but we're doing it with faith that Jesus is working. He's got his people there. Do you realize Jesus had his people in the synagogue of Satan? That's what he means here. And to their chagrin, to their embarrassment, as the gospel is being shared by these people whom they are persecuting, God's going to use that gospel and they're going to come and bow their knee, not to the people, but to Jesus. What a joy. Do we have faith for that, church? When we have our week of prayer and fasting, November 5th through the 9th, I I want to encourage you, start a list now and fast and pray for the power of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, So that you might articulate the gospel. You might reflect the gospel in your marriages, with your parenting, how you work, the importance you put in doing a good job. And then you might know the gospel to share it gently. Share it gently. We had this great conversation with this individual. And, and, you know, I just, I I laughed and I said, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. But here is what the Bible says. And he said, okay. He actually gave me his book. And he says, here's what my book says. And I, I, I just with great respect listened to him and read it. And I said, well, wow, they disagree. Next time we're going to talk about this disagreement. He says, yes, we will. He was a kind person. He'd grown up his, that's all he'd ever known. But I pray for faith that I would trust God, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And God has his elect there. And he's going to use us.
to share the gospel. Jesus is the holy and true one. He's the faithful witness who empowers us to be his faithful witnesses. Point two, Jesus empowers us to be his faithful witness. Look at verse 10. Very encouraging, verses 10 and 11. To this little church in Philadelphia with little power, being persecuted. They're not very famous. They have very few followers on Facebook. I love what he says to them, verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, that word there is the gospel. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth to try those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast that what you have so that no one may seize your crown. What he's saying here today, the encouragement that he is giving us here today, he's saying, listen, I'm coming soon. That is not an eschatological I'm coming soon. That's not talking about the end times. He's saying, I am here in your presence right now. I am coming soon. I'm going to give you power by my spirit so that you might hold fast that which you've been given. He's just talking about the gospel. Preaching it, living it, teaching it. The very, the very truths of Jesus Christ. And as you do, there is a crown for you that no one can take. This is an amazing scripture. What it is saying is this church, Jesus gives us the faith. He gives us the gospel. We would not be Christians if he hadn't chosen us before the foundation of the world. If he hadn't poured out his spirit on us to give life to our dead souls. If he hadn't given us the gift of repentance and faith and we proclaim his name as Jesus. He gives us that. Then he empowers us to be faithful witnesses, how it says it in verse 10, to keep the word. And then he promises us a reward for keeping the word that he gave as a gift that he empowers us to keep. What a God we serve. Now we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. They're suffering. When Jesus says that he will keep us from the trial to come, when he says that, he says that he will keep us from the hour of trial there in verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. What he is saying is this. He is not saying that he will remove us from the trial. What he is saying is that he will keep our faith in the midst of the trial. He's saying that the same trial that punishes the world, world, the wicked, is the same trial that perfects the righteous. Greg Beale in his uh, commentary says the following on the screen. I will keep you safe from the spiritual harm of coming tribulation, of the coming tribulation, period. See, the protection is, is spiritual, not physical. We all know when trials come, when you lose your job, when you get sick, when you're persecuted, We're experiencing some of it here, but nothing like some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been doing a lot of reading about unreached people groups. I've been doing a lot of reading about God's work in in the Muslim world, in the unreached world, what, what people call the 1040 window. 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north of the equator, from the the western tip of Africa all the way to the Pacific. That's where most of the world's unreached peoples are. That's where all the great religions are. You have India there with Hinduism and, and, and Buddhism and Southeast Asia. You've got, of course, Islam and, and the massive number of Muslims and these, these huge populations. You have certainly North Africa. 
and the suffering that, our, that, that God's people, I was going to say our people, you know, I'm going to say that, our people are going through right now. Your brothers and sisters are going through right now. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to remove you from that trial, but he said, in that trial, your faith won't be damaged, it'll be perfected. This is, after all, what he said in his high priestly prayer before his departure. John 17, 14, on the screen. I have given you, excuse me, he's speaking to the Father, speaking of his his followers. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What Jesus is saying here is that he will keep us in the trials that are coming, and those trials won't damage our faith, but they will purify our faith, even as gold, even as fire purifies gold. Fire doesn't test whether the gold is gold. Only true gold is put in fire to be purified. Fire purifies that gold. Trials don't test whether you have faith or not. Trials will purify the quality of the faith you have by grace in Christ alone. That changes our perspective, church. It helps me, church, to have faith to help me to walk through these trials with fresh faith that I might keep his word, that I might not deny his name. Even though I suffer, it helps us suffer well. So what is the testing of your faith these days, church? Where are you being tested? What are the trials? Jesus keeps you. He empowers you to keep his word. He will ensure that you pass that test by his grace. And then promise you the crown for having passed it. I'm actually about to take a final in one of my courses, a missiology course. I sure, it would sure be nice to get an email from the professor. Dear Al, study hard for your test, but I ensure that you will pass the test. And then I'll give you an A for having passed the test. I doubt I'll get that email this afternoon. Yes, it is a trial. But he keeps us, church, that we might keep his word. That's good news. And listen to what he promises us. Verse 11. He promises us, excuse me, verse 12. He promises us not only a crown, but look, verse 12. The one who conquers, we only conquer because he conquered on our behalf and then enables us to conquer. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Let's just stop there. What does he promise us? How does he empower us to be his faithful witnesses? With the promise of fellowship that will never be broken. This is, this temple represents God's presence. This is a little bit more eschatological. That just means looking to the end times. He says, you're going to be a pillar in my temple, not a physical temple, because we know in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be a physical temple. God will dwell amongst his people, but we will be with God because God has chosen us and made us his children and we'll be a pillar in his temple and we will never leave his presence. We'll have fellowship with him forever and ever and ever. So therefore the suffering we have now by comparison, well, it doesn't compare. I was just thinking about the death of my parents. So, so my mom died this year. She was 94. My, di- my dad died when he was 72. Um, so mom lived 22 years more than dad. But in eternity, is that really even hardly relevant? I mean, it's a big deal for us 
It's a big deal for me to not have had dad, not have had my father see my youngest born, my, my son. It's a big deal that I don't have my dad. I, I miss my dad. I miss my mom. But in the scope of all eternity, 22 years isn't much. That puts it in perspective. You're suffering now and you will suffer. You will. But God will protect your faith and for all eternity you'll be a pillar in his temple. You'll have personal fellowship with God that never ends. And then he says the following in the middle of verse 12. And I will write on him. It's interesting. This text began with write this down for the church. And now he says, church, I'm going to write on you. I'm going to write on you what? I'm going to write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. I believe all three of these are synonymous. They're the same thing. He calls us. He names us. And we don't deny that name. It's the name of Jesus. We are Christians. And he writes that name on us. Writes it on our hearts. Wherever you want to write it, on your forehead, on your arms, on your legs. We've got his name. We are his. He is ours. And he says, I will never leave you. We are pillars in his temple. Jesus opens that door that no one can close. And conversely, dear unbeliever, he closes the door that no one can open. Come to Jesus right now. Jesus gives us our identity. Jesus gives us all that we are. We are God's and he is ours Amen. He is the one that has the key of David. Our identity is in Christ, and our identity ensures our eternal fellowship with him. We have his name. Friends, this makes it all worthwhile. This makes it worthwhile for those people that our brother in our midst here ministers to in these countries where there's great suffering, great persecution, great pressure. We don't even understand what it is. But it makes it worthwhile. They're encouraged to hold fast what they've been given. They're encouraged to hold fast his word and not deny his name because Jesus is coming. He's actually here by his spirit to empower us and enable us to keep his word as he keeps us. The faithful witness empowers us to be faithful witnesses. We bear his name both now and forevermore. We know Jesus. He knows us. More importantly, he knows us. And that is the key to our prayer. Here's the appeal, church. Jesus, the faithful witness, empowers us to be his faithful witnesses. Are you ready to take the stand for Jesus Christ at work, at school, in your neighborhoods, at the store, on social media? I was reading about the tips to be a good witness. Remember, I wanted to be an attorney, so that just fascinates me. And what are the tricks that attorneys use to coach a witness? Actually, these aren't tricks. They're actually pretty good advice. You can go online. Like 25 points on how to be, you know, 25 tips on how to be a good witness. It's fascinating. What is a good witness? Obviously, the truth has to be told. But you know what the first point is to be a good witness? That you immerse yourself in the facts of the case. You relive it. You picture it. You've seen it. You, you, the scene is relived in your mind. You refresh your memory. This is an eyewitness now. And I thought, perfect. Perfect. He's the true one. 
We're witnessing of him who is true and holy in God and his resurrection. But to be a good witness, you know what that means? That every day we refresh in our memories the scene, the blessing, the salvation of Jesus Christ, the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Are we soaking in that so that we're on the stand, boom, at the water cooler, boom, in the lunchroom, boom, on the metro when you're sitting next to somebody and they just start asking you. You don't have to think, oh, well, let's see. Oh, what? Well, uh, yeah, it's been about five weeks since I read the Bible and kind of prayed a month ago, and I remember what Al said at the sermon. No, no, we've been soaking in it. We're saying, oh, Lord, I love you. You've kept me, and now I keep you, and this gospel is fresh in my mind. It's true. It's amazing grace every day, every day anew. I roll out of bed, and I say, God, remind me. I think Piper said this. You know, he, he, he asked for God to fill his cup, like a styrofoam cup, because there's a hole in it, and it leaks every day. So in the morning, I'm I'm refreshing, I'm looking at it, I'm reading it. That makes a good witness. Daily prayer, holding fast the confession of faith. You know what else makes a good witness? A witness that listens to the questions of the attorney to try to understand them. They, They say to witnesses, don't answer too quickly. If you don't understand the question, listen to it. And I thought, yes, exactly. When I was sharing with this individual a while ago, I, I listened carefully. What is, what, is, what is he actually asking me? And I would say, are you asking me this? I want to make sure I understand. Where are you coming from? So we're, we're good listeners. We're asking questions to, for, for understanding so that we know what they're asking. And then a good witness, according to these tips online, is that they give their answer with clarity, succinctly, and they don't misspeak. They're clear. And very important, a good witness never loses his or her temper on the stand and never argues with the attorney. Oh, my. (laughs) I look in the mirror and say, oh, my. And if they do, they tell you to immediately apologize. So I don't know about you, but I know I I can be that one that loses their temper, particularly if the things that are being said I find either offensive or ridiculous, of course, in my opinion. And how much more can we be tempted to do that online? But certainly in person. Friends, let the joy of the Lord, let the joy of the Lord move us toward others so that we might be faithful witnesses, that we might pray with hearts of compassion, that we might say, Lord, draw us. Lord, use us to be a faithful witness, for we are witnessing the greatest event ever, the most important case ever. Listen, we are calling for a verdict that's an eternal verdict from people that are listening. We want to be faithful witnesses, true, gentle, kind, knowledgeable, humble Trusting in Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And we want to pray, pray, and pray. Let's do that right now. Worship team, would you come forward? Let us pray, church. Lord, in the midst of the hustle and bustle of this world and hurricanes and situations, economies that are up and down, Lord, in the, in the busyness of life, here in South Florida. Lord, would you give us much, much grace as we want to answer the call to be your witnesses. As you say here, keep my word. I will keep you. Hold fast what you have been given. Do not deny my name. Lord, may we not deny your name through our actions. Our words may be confessing you, but oh God, have mercy on us. Forgive us where we deny your name by our actions or attitudes or anger.
Lord, may we not be afraid to share your word. Even with those who are very different from us. Even from those who we think are totally opposed to us, and maybe they are. But, oh, Lord, may we have faith that at the appropriate time, your elect, who are fast bound in darkness, will be released from that darkness by your spirit. But you just said, through the gospel we preach. You do the releasing, but you call us to do the sharing. Give us fresh faith. I pray amongst the members of Palm Vista that there will be fresh faith this afternoon to start praying for others and to boldly just say, hey, can we we initiate a dialogue? Lord, may we be a church that shines brightly with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful witnesses. It is all by your grace and grace alone. Let us stand and let us sing that song as a concluding prayer. Grace. Unmeasured.